the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Welcome to Wine Women Radio, where we discuss what we're drinking and what's happening in the wine industry. Pour yourself a glass and enjoy the show. Welcome, fans, to the Wine Women Radio Hour. I'm Marsha Maycumber. I'm here with Lisa Adams-Walter. Hello. Hello, hello. And Misty Rodebush-Gain. Hello, everyone. Good to see all of you today. We're going to do a, a show that's kind of like more get to know your co-hosts and get to know what we all do in the wine industry because we all spend a lot of time working in the wine industry. Misty, of course, your marketing director at St. Supery Vineyards and Winery. Have I got that backwards technically? Yeah, no, that's that's correct. <laughs> okay. Lisa Adams-Walter, uh, uh, Adams-Walter Communications. Communications. Yes. Um, fine arts specialist and writer, uh, editor of, editor or co-editor of uh, of Canvas, of Canvas. The it's actually Canvassing Wine Country. Canvas and Wine Country, and all that, which is directed towards consumers to make sure that they have the best possible experiences in wine country. I'm hearing from a lot of my clients who are, um, they're wine country tour drivers in many cases, independents who have their own business. They have a lot of expertise in knowing many different wineries, um, and are experts in understanding what their clients are looking for in terms of experiences. It's high season for all of them. And they're looking at, you know, what their customers will best resonate with them, depending upon their palate, what locations they haven't visited before, um, all those different things. And of course, we're also addressing what's happening um, for women in the wine industry. That's what we do a lot. and what's happening in the industry overall. So um, one curious thing that I ran across today in wine industry news was the headline for podcast agnostics, music trumps podcasts. So um, this chart was shared today in Wine Industry Insights. Credits to Lou Perdue. We always like to make sure mm-hmm. Lou gets his credit. Because yes. um, he's, well, he's a professional journalist and he really digs into this and we should be fair and give credit where credit is due. So this survey that he had found said that um, a huge number of people have never listened to or downloaded a podcast and they wanted to know why. And the answer that came back predominantly was if they're listening to something, they prefer to listen to music. 47% of respondents said, I don't listen to podcasts because I prefer music. Much smaller percentage, like the second thing was they don't want to download them. Only 21% of people said they don't like to download them. 18% but said podcasts are boring. God, I hope not ours. Um, 17% they take up too much storage. Others said they're too long. They don't know where to access them. They don't like the ads that they have. They don't know how to download them. That probably is the older generations that have more technical challenges. Um, they also said friends and family and others like don't listen to them so that it's not a sharing experience, which is important to many. So that was kind of an interesting tidbit. Does this mean to- we're going to need to start singing? <laughs> <laughs> podcast. Do you, think, do you think anybody <laughs> wants to hear us sing? Nah, nah. But um, what I do think some of our listeners might be curious about is um, that we get to enjoy this beautiful private tasting room here at the Panel Wine Lounge here in Sonoma. Very cool. Um, we, we need to give them kudos because they let us record here. You can find uh, the Panel Wine Lounge at panelwines.com. They're open um, 
Tuesday through Friday, 3 to 9, Saturday noon to 9 p.m., um, other times by appointment. Um, they are uh, open to the public as a public wine lounge. You can come and order wines by the glass, by the bottle. They have happy hour specials. They have these beautiful um, tasting platters that you can enjoy. You can sign up for their wine club. You can shop in their wine shop. Lots of choices. Um, huge thank you to them for letting us use this beautiful tasting room in the back uh, for recording the podcast, which you can also rent out for private events. Kind of cool to That's be able to do that. So again, panelwines.com and find them at 535 West Napa Street here in downtown Sonoma. Great location. So Lisa, what is happening in the wine world and your career world right now? You spend a huge amount of time doing PR in the wine and fine arts industries. You are also a prolific writer in the wine industry and fine arts, um, doing a lot in that arena. I'm writing a lot. I am writing a lot, a lot, a lot for clients and for myself and for the magazine. And yeah, it's, um, it's been a really, it's been interesting to see what's happening and what people are talking about in the world of wine. Everybody's trying to get their story out there and do something a little bit different, but things are still really tied into, you know, because it's Mm -hmm. farming and it's agriculture, Mm -hmm. things are really tied into the seasons and, you know, the seasons, both in terms of visitorship, but also, of course, the seasons in the vineyard. Right. So that's a beautiful time of year. It's a it's the time of year when it's comfortable for people to travel and go around and be outdoors to enjoy wineries, um, which is what one of the things that makes it so attractive. Right now, we're actually hitting Verasion. I was ha- going right. And what did you have, Misty? Before we leave um, yeah. the topic of Lisa's writing, I have a question for Lisa. Being, um, you know, being in the wine industry, there's a lot of us from ownership all mm-hmm. the way to um, winemakers with their tasting notes, and then myself personally in marketing, right. who don't have the writing background. Um, do you ever find yourself like with really solid, like if I have a project that I know I need to write about, I need to get out a press release, or I need to get out, oh my God, you, you know, re- resonates what you're going towards. I need me. to get out like something, and I have a solid deadline, and then I have all these other pressing projects, and I have writer's block, <gasps> and I'm sitting yes. there, and I'm trying to get it out. Like any tips for any of our listeners who are faced with that? Um, struggle. I know our winemaking Lisa, team. Often over to you. Oh, I spent getting over a huge block. part of every day writing, and I I face writer's block for sure. And sometimes I'm so mad at myself because once I get going, it's so, it's not that bad really. Um, right. A lot of times I literally go out and go for a walk and just you know try to. <gasps> when just, I walk the dog, yeah, I get great right, ideas. Yeah, then. just get out and just get away from your screen and kind of get out of where you were. Um, get out of your head. The other thing, yeah, get out of your own head. The other thing is just get some things down on the page because you can always move them around later. Even if it's just ideas, then later you can kind of create that stream and that story, whatever it is you're trying to tell. Many times what I first write ends up being the last thing in the story. A lot of times I'll wake up in the night and I'll suddenly have the lead. Wait, that's the angle. I've interviewed these four people and this, we should start Uh with this. This will kind of lead the story. Cheers to a great tip. Cheers. And I always find find myself as well going back to research. So I'll actually do Mm -hmm. some additional research on the subject and then I'll leave it alone. And then like you said, I'll wait for that idea to come to me. I'll give you one more tip. Um, And I do this for publications, but I'll also do it for stories. I'll sometimes write things down on index cards because I'm so visual and then just move them around on the table and like, wait, this needs to go here. Whoops. And this needs to go there. Right. And sometimes it helps me, you organize the visual. Kind of like, yeah, I need yeah. that visual experience. Oh, good idea. 
And if you're laying out any sort of publication, it's kind of nice to be able to take these two pages and move them over here. You know, it could be small, like an annual report, or it could be mm -hmm. bigger, like a magazine or a book. So, so these are know. really good because I feel like um, sometimes we're all different in terms of how much our brains organize visually and how much they organize on the actual words. And so, Lisa, your suggestion is fantastic because these work off of both of them. The, or right. the visual organized and the cards, tactile. but also the words. Yeah, you're right. kind of using your hands, kind of going, okay, this, and you can, for me, it's like getting that, what's happening in your hands? A lot of times when you're writing, of course, that's tactile, right? On the mm -hmm. keyboard, it's go, 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 go. And it, but in would, a weird way, it talks to your brain while it, your fingers are moving. It does. Like sometimes it's almost happening without even thinking about it. You know, yeah. then like, wait, what did I do? <laughs> did I write that? <laughs> Good call. So. Good yeah, way to do it. Thanks for asking helpful. that, I, Misty. I, I have one for you because I have been, I have had serious writer's block for a client that I was trying to um, write and set up their um, flyers for their product, essentially. And I was struggling because I was, I was having a hard time wrapping my head around actually what the, the best benefits of the product were. And one of the things that I did is I took a previous draft of a related product and it had a bunch of benefits and the benefits also, you know, were all listed as bullets and they all started with verbs. So manage this, learn that, um, conquer, blah, blah. Um, you know, so I took the verbs and what I did is I took out everything after the verb from the previous oh, product. Nice. And so I was left with a list of action verbs of what you're going to learn or what you're going to conquer or take away. And that kind of freed up my brain as kind of like a cue. It was like fill in the blank. It was like manage. What am I going to manage with this with this you know product that the client has? What am I going to learn from blah 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 blah? So it it got the gray cells turning again. Oh, I have Tuesday. another huge tip for listeners out there. <gasps> okay, on writer's um, block. Here we go. Uh, yeah, not only writer's block, but just making sure that whatever piece you're putting out is hitting on your objectives. Mm -hmm. um, whether if you're a visual person, this tends to help me a lot. I will actually like copy and paste a whole article and there's a web tool that's called Wordle. I'm not sure if it's <laughs> wordle.net or wordle.com. Yes. But you drop it that. you drop it in and then it will actually accentuate the words that you've mentioned more in that article. So if sustainability is a huge focus or if um, so it finds keywords it for you. finds keywords and it really accentuates them so if you know you're trying to convey a message and it's coming up very very small in that article you're like oh my gosh i've missed missed the boat on this one i've got to go back and revisit this and so it's, and it's very helpful it i also use it for um i thankfully now in my position i'm not having to write job descriptions because we have a fantastic <laughs> hr team but i have found myself in that position prior where i was having to write job descriptions and i don't have a background in hr and it's so it's i hard I, so i was actually putting them into wordle and i was making sure that the key points of the person that i wanted to hire had these specific skills and it was actually really that's really a useful. great idea yeah and and i also think uh, you know if you're if, if it's along the lines of job descriptions Go find somebody else's job. It doesn't have to be the same job. If it's if it's well written, again, like it's the same thing. Go in, you know, take the verbiage and then take out the details. Just go with like the verbs and the outline, and then go and then you can use it as a fill in the blank to put in the the specifics of the position that you're trying to write for. So yeah, and I found myself sometimes you'll find like you'll put it into Wordle and you're like, oh my gosh. 
our company name is so small. Like I'm not even identifying who this article's about. Um, so even like if, and it, it depends on where it's going to be posted and if it's going to be, if it, if that's important or not, but it is a good tool. Exciting. Good tip. Good tip. All righty. So, um, so some things going on in the wine news world right now, there's been, um, an interesting recent article up, um, in wine searcher, um, about blind wine tasting. This is something that always fills me with dread and horror because I think I do horribly on this, but I, but usually at the end I find out I didn't do as bad. Like some of the early blind tasting that I did was what we refer to as double blind wine tasting. We don't, you don't get to see it. You don't know what it is, where it's from, what year, what appellation, what variety, nothing, no information, whatever. That's really, really hard. And I know, and I, and I know that a number of people who were studying for say WSET, um, court of sommeliers, maybe they were studying for their masters of wine. Um, you know, there's, there's various programs that you can study for. They would come to these blind tastings, these brown, their brown bag tastings, literally brown bags, go over the bottles and hide everything. And you just pour it and taste it and start writing your notes. Well, the people who are running these tastings were literally wanting you to fill in everything. You know, what do you think it is? What variety do you think it is? What vintage? What appellation? Um, numerous details. And I'd be like, oh, my God, I don't have a tr- well t- enough trained paddle to pick out an appellation or something like that. But I felt better when people who study this stuff a lot were also having as much difficulty. If you get one bit of hint, it's a good thing. So anyway, going back to this Wine Searcher article... Um, they say uh, what's stated in this article is that you know the fundamental precept is that wine can't be tasted well when it's completely out of context and we talk a lot about wine having a certain place about we you know we've talked recently with um, Jen Walsh from La Crema about the place taste you know the distinct nature and characteristics of Russian River Chardonnay or Russian River Valley Pinot Noir. It's very distinctly different from Pinot Noir from Carneros or from mm-hmm. Sonoma Coast or Anderson Valley or Oregon, uh, mm-hmm. Willamette Valley. Um, so really distinctive differences. Uh, so a lot of the time when, when it's talked about, do judges get a chance of knowing you know, what they're tasting? I would hope in uh, many competitions okay, the judges are being sat down, you are getting Pinot Noirs, but most of the time they're getting, say, Pinot Noirs between um, 0 and $30 and 31 to 60 or whatever right. the range is. Price points. They might, be, they might be told that that's their category, but at least that's something to start with. Mm-hmm. Um, so that article is out there right now, and uh, you can find that in Wine Searcher. Claims of rigid impartiality when it comes to wine tasting don't really stand up. Oliver Styles maintains. So you can read more about that one there, which is kind of an interesting point of view. Um, we also want to, because we are wine women, here are the Wine Women Radio Hour, we want to send congratulations to Christy Ackerman. Um, she was just appointed Associate Winemaker for Red Wines at Ferrari Corano Vineyards and Winery in Sonoma County. So well done, Christy. Here, let's do a little clink, 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 clink. Cheers, cheers, clink, cheers. Way to go, Christy. Uh, women are, are, you know, only comprise 
10% or less of head winemakers, um, let alone, you know, less than 4% of winery owners uh, or top of that. So we want to make sure that uh, they get their due and get their recognition. So um, Christy started her career in winemaking as a harvest intern at Murphy Good. She then moved on to Jordan Winery as assistant winemaker after graduating in 2001 with an enology degree from Cal State Fresno. And then in 2006, she joined the winemaking team at Ferrari Carano and Winery as associate winemaker. And she works on their Russian River Valley and Anderson Valley Pinot Noir. So congratulations to Christy. Wonderful news for her. Uh, as we are coming up on Verasion and um, a, ti a time of year when the vines are obviously really stressed because as we know here in California, there's no rain, basically, right? We have no rain between mid-late May and October at the earliest around Much, here. Yeah, which well, I love. <laughs> here, here's, here's some interesting news that came out this week. Um, and this came from Washington State University and their blog um, studying um, soil si uh, uh, crops and soil sciences. Um, so professor of crops and soil sciences, Pete Jacoby has invented and developed a subsurface irrigation system that could be a game-changing system for Washington's wine grape industry. And I'm sure if it works there, everybody will want to co-opt it here. So what he did starting in 2015 is um, he uh, launched this program, Jacoby's Direct Root Zone Irrigation, DRZ system, differs from existing micro-irrigation models in significant ways. And what he says is that common drip irrigation sy systems deliver water in horizontally buried lines, whereas the DRZ system feeds water in vertical tubes buried one to four feet directly into the root zone soil. So not only does the DRZ supply vines much more efficiently than traditional micro-irrigation systems, but its vertical structure is less susceptible to damage from clogs, burrowing residents residents rodents rodents <laughs> and curious wildlife they would also be residents um anyway so um what he says um pete jacoby was that um one of those problems with horizontal lines out there is that coyotes actually like to teeth on the drip line hose systems i guess oh, the cute. youngsters don't know yeah, yeah and that probably adds a few more holes than they want in their irrigation system so um, in 2014, he obtained a grant to execute field trials, and they wanted to see how this would all work and if it would actually save uh, water. And so several vineyards in Washington State volunteered small blocks of an acre or more to test out his system. And what they found out was that his new vertical system, the DRZ root zone irrigation system, actually had a 35% reduction in water that was needed, but still producing, you know, viable vines and all that. That's all. That's well, a pretty significant amount, don't right. you think? I think it would reduce evaporation too, right? Because it's like right down right. there at the root. So Right. So one of the things that, I don't know if this threw you guys off ever, but I kept looking at the way we irrigated vines. And if you look at a vineyard closely, you will see that about anywhere from 14 to 18 mm -hmm. inches off the ground is a horizontal irrigation line that is 
uh, strapped somehow or other, you know, with tie lines um, to the vines and it runs all throughout and then the water drips the 18 inches, 14, 18 inches to the ground directly to um, the trunk uh, generally. And of course, between where the water comes out through the emitter to the ground, you've got a certain amount of evaporation going on there. And I kept wondering, well, with our home irrigation systems, we put all those lines on the ground. And I had to ask a few vineyard managers, and why don't you do it that way? Well, the answer is the, the, you know, the tractors and the equipment, the disking equipment and everything else would rip up the irrigation lines if they were actually in the ground. So it's to, you know, maintain the lines and not destroy them that they're actually held above ground. Um, but wouldn't it be fascinating if we could switch over to this vertical integration system and save a lot of water? Hello, climate change. Yeah, that's fantastic. I think that's, I think that's a pretty cool idea. So that was, that's our wine industry news going on this week. There's a, there's a bunch of other stuff. We're going to save it for future episodes uh, of things going on. So, Lisa, anything else happening in your wine writing Wine writing. Well, and, I just and just you know what's going on in your I, world. I just wanted to mention that I know there are a lot of harvest experiences, and Misty can probably add to this. But Bonovia Winery is having an estate vineyard sip and stroll to experience uh-huh. Verasion in the vineyard on Sunday, August twenty fifth, from ten to twelve thirty at Bonovia Winery in Santa Rosa. Very excited. Um, the details are available at bonovia.com or by emailing events at bonovia.com. But essentially. Um, guests get to cruise around the vines. Um, they have a tour with um, vineyard manager Chris Kangas, and they get to go through the Marta Ella Estate Vineyard in the heart of the Russian River Valley and taste wines that were made from grapes grown right there in prior vintages cool. and then learn about what's happening in the vineyard just prior to harvest. So I think that's kind of so, cool because yeah. we kind of we see pictures of this, but it's pretty rare to get to really look up close and see like the you know the changing colors of the grapes in the in the bunches as the berries are developing so right um, yeah ripening is a really cool amazing process yeah and it's so busy for the vineyard teams you know making sure that you know the vine isn't Mm -hmm. stressed the fruit load isn't too heavy and thinning it appropriately and making sure the sun is they're (gasps) properly managing the sun exposure so that canopy management yeah Yeah. all all the canopy management pieces that come into play i find i don't know about you guys but i find it really fascinating to go through the vineyards between mid late july and harvest and you know taste the grapes um, people get kind of nervous doing their like going, oh, this is product. I can't do this. But obviously, if you're doing this on a guided tour and you're encouraged to do this, it's very interesting to um, see how they evolve and they change. And, and you see how the acid levels um, uh, shift with the ripening. The sugar levels are going up. The acid levels are shifting and going down. And the color is coming through uh, and the phenolics and all of that in the vine and, and to... You know, it it's as it ripens, it starts to taste more familiar to me. I don't know. How yeah, do you how do you feel yeah, about definitely that? Definitely because there's you grew up really here. stringent <laughs> yeah. tannic flavors yes. at one stage and then as you get very close it's to really harvest tart. it's super sweet and you're like, Holy cow, I didn't think wine grapes were this sweet. It's very surprising how sweet they are. Right. And it is the sugar, of course, listeners, if you're not familiar with this, the sugar that converts into alcohol. So it's finding uh, every winemaker is there. Uh, uh, discovering and choosing at what level of sugar they want to go. Nope, this is it. 
and this is this is as far as I want it to go before I want to get this in and have it start fermenting and having the sugar chewed up literally by the yeast to turn that into alcohol at just the right levels, all of which can be controlled. I think it's amazing. What's amazing to me is how they figured out how to do that well thousands of years ago when they didn't have refractometers and sort of thing. How did, I guess they learned by taste yeah. at what was the right point to do that. And then for thinning the vines and the canopy management right. with the vineyard, uh, yes. one of the vineyard managers that I worked with in the past, there was an instrument that they used. It was almost like a huge stake. And, um, and some of the vines, when they're teaching new staff who can't do it by sight mm-hmm. because they're brand new, they would take that stake and actually punch it down through the vineyard and count how many leaves it caught. And they were looking for an ideal number of leaves. So if it was three, for instance, oh for that specific growing region, they and there were five on that leaf, they would thin it out so that there's about <gasps> three oh every God. time. Wow. They I've would never poke. heard about yeah. that. Wow. Yeah, one of the vineyard managers that I worked with told me that years and years ago. So it's always interesting to hear these stories about how technology is involved and what what they used to do in the vineyard. And that was technology of the day. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. It's, all, it's obviously, you know, ter- turned and involved in fascinating ways over but the I, last many centuries. I've heard from, I've heard from so many winemakers that just getting out there and walking the vineyard is, mm-hmm. is so important. And yeah. I think in vineyard managers, of course, because if you're a winemaker or in charge of a lot, you can't walk every single vineyard, but they're no. having boots walk on the ground is row. important. It's really important to check it out. Yeah. Yeah, especially as we get closer to harvest, you know, the winemakers are out in their vineyards every day, monitoring, checking, seeing if it's ready to start measuring. And the, and the other thing is they have to, they have to do it frequently because they're going, they're, they're measuring the level of sugar now, but then they have to measure the sugar again a week from now and a week to go, how long is it taking for the maturation and the ripening to take place so that they can estimate, gee, I think because... This has evolved two bricks over two weeks or maybe a week or whatever it is. That means it's going to arrive at a level of 24 bricks, um, you know, six weeks from now or something like, you know, they're trying to, they're trying to guess. They're trying to guess, but they're making an educated guess. Yeah, a lot is based on the weather and what's happening if we're having heat spikes and or if we're just having a nice yeah. temperate sort of experience. Right. And, and if they're not fortunate to have all of the equipment on site, then they have right. to juggle that as right. well. So for some of these brands. And these winemakers are pretty smart folks. They, you know, they can, they can do it by taste as well as by frec- refractometer. So to see how that all goes. So it, it's, a, it's an exciting time of year in the, the vineyards to see what everybody's doing and um, getting ready. You know, it's the scramble for harvest. It's like... It, it, I imagine it's similar to the feeling that people must have in the rush up to the Oscars in the movie industry. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there's this deadline. It's going to be broadcast. They, they got to get the red carpet unrolled. They got to get the, the the canopies and the awnings up in case there's rain because now it happens in February when it rains in Hollywood and all kinds of There's crazy. a lot of bottling going on right now. There's a lot oh, of space yes. being made in cellars. Yeah. That's for sure. The and bottling. my clients have been busy bottling as well. And it's fascinating to watch because... Um, you know, at any moment, there's so many there so many moving mechanical parts. Things can get stuck. Mm-hmm. Um, I wa- I watched in going around because I was photographing some of it, and occasionally um, the foils would come down on the tops of the bottles. Um, but maybe they'd miss a bottle, or maybe they wouldn't really secure. And what impressed me was there's there's always a, 
a quality control guy at the end of the line. And although my eyes couldn't spot it, they could spot every single one of the loose foils where it looked the same as the others to me, but they could tell that it hadn't really secured tight enough to count. They pull them off the line, they pull them off again, they send them through again to make sure they're really secure. So it's an art and a science to deal with bottling lines, and yeah, everybody's doing that. Even the big, I've been to some really big, powerful, high-speed, high-production bottling lines. They even have humans at the end looking with everything going by a mirror and and seeing it float past because there are things that you just, like low fills, things you you can't really... You don't really know unless you see it with, a, with right. the eye. Right, and you watch a lot, and you still don't know what they're looking at. There was a section mm-hmm. I couldn't figure out what, why the guy was moving a case a certain way. Finally figured out, oh, that's the end case label being glued to the end of the <laughs> <laughs> That's what's happening. I couldn't get a good enough angle to see what was happening there. But anyway, Misty, what's yes. happening in your world at St. Supri and St. Helena? Yes. Um, you, you, I bet you have a lot of visitors right now. It's high season for tourists to come visit um, wine country, and you have a lot of groups coming through. Yeah, definitely. Um, harvest right now is, you know, not underway quite yet, but it will be here uh, right around the corner. Mm-hmm. And harvest is such a busy time for all of the Napa Valley. We were talking earlier about, you know, some of these wineries where, you know, you have to make an appointment or you don't. So make Mm -hmm. sure if you're planned appropriately and do your homework and make appointments if you're coming to the Valley. But um, at St. Supery, we are wrapping up our great sustainable seafood tour, which is extraordinary. We are always at the winery. You know, we support sustainability and environmental stewardship. It's a very, very Mm -hmm. important mission and part of St. Supery mm-hmm. and what they've so always done. So this is a limited time program that's ending now? This is a limit. It's it's a seasonal program. We launched with um, right with International Sauvignon Blanc Day to kick that cool, off. Cool, St. Supery is famous for their fantastic Sauvignon Blanc. Yeah, and we wanted to educate folks more about, you know, the sustainability, not only in the vineyards, but then also um, f- we're so intertwined with the food business and with the restaurant space sure. and the purveyor scene. So we wanted to highlight some of our partners that are utilizing sustainable seafood purveyors or have mm-hmm. a sustainable seafood dish. So we have some really nice highlights um, online where you can go and visit and see St. Super Sustainable Seafood mm. pairings Yum. across the country. We had some events. We had a really fantastic recipe contest with Ooh. fun prizes all yeah. clad cooking pots and yeti did you try any of the recipes you are so not yet, yet so but i list? it is on my to-do list and we will be able to try on cool. in the end of the month and i so. bet your club members are gonna hear about who the winners were and yeah our people's choice has already been named so we cool. have a people's choice winner mm-hmm. and we'll have a, an a, official judging event where we'll get to try these great sustainable seafood recipes if you didn't get in this year that's fine just look out for us next year next spring because get in on yeah get in on the the competition because it is really really yeah. fun uh we have some f- fantastic miyagi oyster and grapefruit cucumber mignonette sauce Ooh. from our state chef whoa todd koachi so there's a nice recipe on that okay. website as well okay. at saintsuper.com backslash seafood so okay. check it out and that's it's exciting to find out you know what wineries are doing in the valley before you come out to visit so you know that seafood initiative was really fun for us if you visited our winery during 
the the season we were creating nice seafood little tastes if it was a food and wine pairing experience so we try mm-hmm. to intertwine that in everything we yeah. do yeah so i'd say you know listeners if you're trying to figure out your wine country visits and all well first of all saint super is a really easy stop because you're right on 29 so you're super accessible but if seafood's like your thing some of the things you can you know as a an inside insider tip when you google like google keyword phrases that are right around that to hit those phrases so if you if you love seafood and wine put those phrases together seafood wine if you know sauvignon blanc saint super is famous for it if you know you love sauvignon blanc and seafood together google those phrases together because i bet you you will get things like your special events popping up in your results yeah that and it'll give you great ideas for the ways to experience wine country by doing that so true and then at saint supery you know we we offer a little bit of everything for everyone so it's really fun whether you're a novice and just getting into learning about wine we right. have some really nice experiences so One, would like describe what a novice's wine tasting experience is like at saint supery well i mean it could be novice but it could also be you could also be an experienced wine mm-hmm. taster who mm-hmm. just wants to enhance and learn more right. so One, what's what's like a what's it, like what does a basic tasting experience like run us through like how many wines do you taste through at a basic experience at St. Super? Yeah. So for our walk-in guests, if mm-hmm. you're just walking in off the street, I mean, you have options. You can do a white wine tasting flight. You okay. can do our winemaker selection flight. Okay. So you could actually pick, you so know, you just pick and choose what flavors appeal to you. Yeah. What flavors choose appeal to you. It's four, about four wines per tasting flight. Mm-hmm. So it's really nice. You get to pick and there's mm-hmm. a few, there's a, a set flight that's there but you know if you really don't like one wine uh-huh. you know we can we can occasionally swap that out for you so it's customized sure. yeah customized. No, yeah i mean it's not a, and i like that because then it's you get to try the newest releases and there's a reason for those wines being right. on that list where you know you can go other places where you know maybe you choose all the wines that you try but if you are a novice sometimes that guidance is is helpful and if you're experienced it's helpful as well because sometimes i need to be pushed out of my comfort zone me too i'm yeah. always like i really don't like that varietal i don't want to try it and then they'll pour it and they'll say no but you have to try this and And it could be because the one you had before that turned you off of it was just not a good example of a particular variety and there's so many different winemaking styles for specific varietals i mean you can have an unoaked chardonnay which is so different we are you know very different taste profile than a standard chardonnay or an unoaked sauvignon blanc compared to an oak one that has spent some time on oak so we offer that and then we also offer more of our interactive experiences like aromatherapy with a corkscrew Mm -hmm. that teaches you it's fun like if you're coming into the napa valley like it you you mentioned the double blind tasting and how intimidating that can be well often that's intimidating because you haven't honed in on your senses so we have our five senses and aromatherapy focuses on your olfactory right. so right. it's teaching you to identify different scents in wine in a very it's like learning, basic manner it's like manner. learning any other skill learn, learn what are the basic common characteristics of a pinot noir of a chardonnay of a sauvignon blanc you know and then then you g- can tell yourself you know talk to your brain and say you know which characteristics does this match? Which ones doesn't it match? Well, St. Savory's been doing that for a long time. Yeah, they're really they're a leader that. in that and educating consumers about, you know, how uh-huh. to learn how to identify different aromas. And 
Um, it's learning by doing, right? Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. what wine yep. tasting I mean, we, is. It's a lot of work, actually. It sounds like, it oh, let's just sip on wine. But if you're really going to get into it and dial down and learn a lot about it, it takes you a just, lot of right. focus and effort and research. As you, you know, we talked about earlier research and right. in that willingness to commit the time to learn. Yeah, and if, exactly. If you're a red wine fan and, you, you know, you love Bordeaux wines and Cabernet are five Bordeaux and your five senses, it takes it to the next level because it's not just tasting yeah. five Bordeaux wines and five varietals. It's actually touching upon your senses and what makes those varietals right unique. you'll advance your skills yeah by doing going through that tasting so that makes me think like this time of year high season i imagine that you see um a fair number of large groups coming through so you get bus groups train groups um visiting what's what's a what are you know large group tours kind of like at saint Superi? Yeah, we do. We do see some large groups come through. We have some fantastic relationships with some different tour groups and um, some different larger Mm -hmm. wine groups, a wine train being one of them. And so they come through and we are one of their stops. Mm -hmm. And um, we really just want to provide a really nice introduction to our brand if they aren't familiar with us. And oftentimes what, you know, one of the, one of our listeners posed the question to Marsha, you know, what, what do you do when you're faced with these larger groups and, and how do you convert them to membership or how do you convert them to sale? I mean, it's hard, but you also don't know what, where that consumer's at in the spectrum with your brand. Are they familiar with your brand? Have they tried? So asking those questions is really important initially and really conducting, you know, a structured Mm -hmm. tasting experience that's going to provide value for the entire group regardless of where they're at in that spectrum if they're intermediate if they're novices just getting started or maybe they're an experienced wine drinker who just liked the convenience of having those set stops planned out for them so i think just making sure yeah you're looking at your experience and what you're offering so so going back from an industry point of view, because um, we kind of bounce back and forth between consumer point of view and industry point of view, um, over the years we've seen a lot of evolution in terms of how consumers are educated in the tasting room. You know, everything from we started with just a lot of drop-in traffic and here, let me pour you something and if you like it, great. If you don't, okay, here's the next pour. But this has evolved a lot and now as an industry we look at um well how many people who are actually there in the group bought a bottle of wine how many people bought two how many people signed up for the wine club and we know there are enormous differences between um, people who sign up for wine clubs and make purchases at tasting rooms at a winery versus those who are going to tasting rooms that are here on sonoma plaza um, a lot of wineries don't actually have tasting rooms. Um, most of my clients do not actually have tasting rooms, but they have great wine to offer. And so painting that picture of, uh, of the brand, the brand and what it's all about is, our, is a big equation for those of us, the three of us here in wine marketing uh, and, and how to convey that best to consumers that they go, I want to be a part of that. Um, what, what do you what do you find are some trends like I was kind of wondering do you find most of your visitors in the summer are they do, do, do you find that you're pouring more white wine in the summer months and more red wine in the winter for in the tasting room is that like a trend 
or not necessarily for you guys? Are you measuring that kind of information? I think, you know, seasonally, we definitely see that on an industry perspective in terms of sales because consumers just gravitate towards, you know, whiter wines during the really hot months. And then come fall, we'll see a huge dramatic shift mm -hmm. into red wines. Uh, from the tasting room perspective and an industry, you know, look, it really has to do with what that winery is offering and what their experience look like. Mm -hmm. So if they have a set, you know, set right. wines that they're pouring, they're obviously going to be pouring more of those wines, probably right. selling more of those wines. Right. And if you don't have a whole lot of wines to offer, you've, you've only got a certain, you know, you've only got a certain portfolio to offer in the first place anyway. But, um, you know, so several but, of my clients only have, you know, one to three wines to offer so there's the whole you know there's right. these are your choices you can have door number one door number two or door number three and there's you know there isn't and then some places have you know a dozen or more to offer when it's and then you have this abundance of riches and choices in terms of which ones am i going to choose to try out but um, if it, if you are in the industry though and marcia brought up a great point do look at that data like that the, of those groups do look at the, you know, average order value of those groups. Look at the return on the investment. Look at, you know, the, right. the conversion to club. And don't, don't you know, oftentimes you forget about that conversion to club, but don't forget about that conversion to club yeah. and what the lifetime value yeah. of that member is because that can sometimes value is everything. make, a, you know, the decision mm -hmm. to continue a partnership and a relationship right. and have a great partner relationship and go into it with an open mind you have to go back to that partner, you know, and revisit and be honest, like, Hey, look, this is working this, you know, and, and it's a partnership. So they'll find ways to help you make it more impactful or meaningful. And sometimes they'll share insight with you that other, you know, other that you wouldn't partners. hear any yeah. other way. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So it is, it is really important. You know, it's, it's more than just, you know, an email back, this isn't working for us or we're not, you know, like it's, it's that continual dialogue with your partners to really make it successful. It's an investment on, on both fronts. I mean, they're bringing people to you, so you need to deliver. Right. And if it's not meeting all your objectives, you need to have that conversation. Right. So that goes, that goes from everything from the large tour group that you have a relationship to, to also the with that and also the small tour operators who are bringing you know a van full you know or an suv full of of guests that they've thought okay from what they told me you know as they talked with them planning their private drive their customized tour drive they're going to love their stop at saint supery or benovia or right. wherever you top and so it's in everybody's bent's best interest to find a way to make that the best experience possible for those guests. And oh, for yeah. other recommenders such as the concierge and, um, you know, the people mm -hmm. at the visitor centers, they're, and even they're, people, they're in really other, knowledgeable. people in other tasting rooms, people yeah. are always asking, or even servers in restaurants, you know, yeah. people like that. I mean, it's a, it's a web of hospitality industry and information providers. Exactly. So it's really important to stay in, stay on top of everybody's mind yeah and there's definitely a you know a lot of that human element in every booking and every person that's delivered to the door so it's important to make sure that you provide mm -hmm. that best experience because it is so easy you know to have a bad experience and then you know that brand that you might have purchased from you know back home 
wherever you're from, you right. might, you know, stop altogether. So it's right. really important. Your, your for all perspective of, our, of them shifts. All of our, all, everyone on the front lines, like every customer needs to be treated, like just given this exceptional red carpet experience. Right. That, that we, basic hospitality, right? We want them to go home and buy that bottle so that they feel like they felt while they were sitting at St. Supery, right? Yes, right. exactly. Take and, a little bit of nap yeah. home with not you. A, not only do you want them to buy the bottle and join the club and take it all, all home, but then you want to make sure that they had such an outstanding time that they tell all of their friends yes. back in... Wisconsin or mm-hmm. Arkansas or Georgia or Ohio, yeah, and I and we had this great I experience. I want to and share then they, it with you, and, right? And then their and then their friends all say, "Oh, maybe we should be planning our trip to wine country." Yeah, so it's absolutely. a cool thing. And if you're listening from across the nation, um, you know you can bring that wine experience home with you yep. um, at Saint Supery. We do sell tasting <gasps> kits, there, there so you, you can actually <laughs> purchase a tasting kit and take your friends through it. Yeah. Yeah, and this um, this coming August 30th, we are celebrating hashtag Cab Bacon, which is a merging of Cab Cab Bake of Cabernet uh, Well, of Cabernet Day, which is August 29th, right. and the 31st of August, which is International Bacon Day. So we have experiences. <laughs> at our, a hybrid. <laughs> I know we have experiences at the winery where you get to taste the estate wine. So we're going from seafood to bacon. Um, but we have estate, our Cabernet wines and some fantastic bacon inspired bites also partnered with iGourmet. So you can actually get a special three pack. iGourmet.com. iGourmet.com to pair with your, your wine. So you don't have to come to the Napa Valley to, to experience it at home. You can do it at home or you can share with your friends. You can make it a fun little barbecue experience or. Or you can come yeah, visit us. And Marsha talked about um, earlier about harvest and how it is so busy for visitorship. Um, it is sort of an overwhelming time if you are planning a trip to come to the Napa Valley. Do some homework. There are some exciting harvest events oh my God, yes. that go on throughout the valley. Um, specifically, if you have you know club memberships at certain wine clubs, or or yeah. maybe not. Yeah. Just look at the, you know, the Napa Valley sites and find, you know, some fun events to go to. And Sonoma. And I have to sorry, speak up and, for Sonoma. Sorry, and, and Sonoma. And Sonoma. I, I actually live in Sonoma, so yeah. I, I, and, I support both. And to be fair, I know you live here. And then, and then to be fair, let's not say, you know, there's a lot of things going out in Livermore Valley, which is another great Absolutely. wine country area. And of course, to the north in Lake County and Mendocino and and Oregon. Yeah, and, yeah all, all, over over the, all over the state of California Monterey. and up and down the coast. So huge opportunities to be enjoyed out there um, at a lot of harvest events. And this is everything from getting to do your own little personal grape stomping thing, which some people really enjoy. But you can also get out there. And if you have never gotten out there on your feet without the stilettos on, um, <laughs> but, but like, you know, in sneakers and, you know, hiking shoes and things like that. You can help with harvest and see what it's like. You could taste things to see what it's really like before it's gone into fermentation and see how drastically different it is from um, being hanging on the vine to um, arriving in your glass. Plan to get up early. People, yeah. harvest is early. Yeah, yeah there's lots a, of interesting choices. Some there. fun philanthropic events as well throughout mm-hmm. the valley. I know um, the ZD Crush Challenge is yeah. always. A fantastic event. Yeah. There's so Lots many of others. Benefits. 
we have um, a really nice harvest event at St. Supery at the end of September that benefits yep. uh, mm-hmm. Valley Oak, which is a local high school that's an accredited program. So yeah. it's, there's a lot, a lot yeah, there's a lot Particularly of nice, into charitable giving. nice tie-ins as well with, with harvest. So lots of cool things to do and explore. And there was one more thing I wanted to ask you about, Misty, is you know, if you've got a, a busload of people coming in for a tasting event um, with your staff, if I, if I were on the end of the staff, I would think that it takes a few special people who can handle large groups as a wine educator. It's not always easy as a, as a server, you know, and a wine educator to keep everybody happy in a large group of 10, 20, 30 what do people go through at St. Supri for training to manage larger tasting groups? It is. It is always training. It is always, you know, interesting to see. And I think that um, I think that as our our hospitality managers have really done a fantastic job at honing in on the individual skill sets of each of their educators, and then really leveraging that to maximize. So some mm-hmm. folks, you know, they might be better with those larger groups mm-hmm. and so they're sort of the go-to person for that but then there might be someone who's not but wants to be so then then they can shadow that yeah person. they'll shadow they'll yeah. you know there'll be some additional training they'll you know they'll they'll monitor they'll mirror yeah. and they'll join because it is like being a, a a professional speaker to a certain degree to talk in front of a larger group and about an your actor wine too in an a way actor, and yes. an educator and, and, and yeah, yeah i mean when i'm doing winery tours i love it when my boss joins because she'll do half of the tour sometimes i'll do yeah. some or even some of you the have folks, a scene partner yeah some <laughs> of the folks that work for me as well like when they're there you know they'll get to talk about certain components of the tour and it's a nice you know and then it's it's nice because not everyone relates with that single personality. That's right. So if you can pull another, if you have the the le- liberty to pull another person in to help host that group, I think that can be beneficial. We also found that's been very beneficial when we have um, wine dinner events because there's usually the winemaker or someone there talking about the mm-hmm. wines. But then if there's someone at the opposite side of the table who wants some additional insight or information, if you have another person from the winery there on that side, it's really nice because then you can make that personal connection. Yeah. Good stuff. Totally agree. Makes it a lot better. Cause I think we've all, we've both had, we've all had both experiences. We've worked with great educators when we've gone to, as consumers, it's fun when you're in the industry and you get to, you know, put take that hat off Absolutely. and just go as a consumer and enjoy a beautiful location with beautiful wines. But um, we've also had the flip side of that experience where you go someplace and somebody's having an off day. It's not a good day. It's not a good afternoon. Um, and that gets us into a separate conversation. Um, I said afternoon. Well, Wine tastings often start in the morning. Most wineries are open at 10 or 10.30 in the morning, available for tastings. Um, And consumers probably go, what? And, (laughs) you know, how can you drink wine that early? Well, a lot of times, of course, at that hour of the morning, we're encouraging spit. You know, taste and spit. You don't have to drink it, but you can certainly find out whether or not you like it and pace yourself for the day for a lot of different tastings. Because, you know, if you're shot with one winery visit, you're going to go... But I wonder, has St. Supery done any studies yet in terms of whether or not conversion of buyers, people who are buying the wine, do better 
you know, in the morning hours or the afternoon hours, or has that not been something that you guys have approached yet and to look at the clock numbers or anything? I mean, we can always, we can always identify some trends for sure Mm -hmm. that are there. Um, Oftentimes it has a lot to do with the ratio of staff to visitors. Mm. So we found that, you know, when we are able to really connect and spend more time with guests, we um, see sometimes a higher conversion, but sometimes it doesn't always ha- stand right. true. So then that to me tells <laughs> get me the that anomalies. It's, yeah, exactly. That it might be just a, a, a relationship thing, maybe, mm-hmm. you know, from a training perspective. Mm-hmm. You, you, sometimes in the wine industry, you know, you'll hire personnel and you'll hire wine educators and you'll go under the assumption. I mean, not where I'm at now, but sometimes you're like, okay, well, this person's trained. They, they know wine, but they don't know your brand. They don't know your right. story. They don't know what's unique to yes. your winemaking program. They don't know how you're using your technology right. and how you're uh, using your yeah. equipment. So training, training, training. That's yeah. all I can say from an industry yeah. perspective uh, is so important. You just reminded me of an experience I had going into a couple of different wineries where I knew the winery story better than the associates who were, they knew wine they knew the wine but they really didn't know the history of the the winery in the background and then it's a balancing act if you're actually there as a consumer of you know holding back and letting you know because you want them to do really well too this this is an industry where it's it's important to build relationships and not burn any relationships it's too small to uh to do any of that and I don't know about you, but I have seen the repercussions when I've, I've seen, you know, seen and heard stories from other people about them um, finding that somebody burned a bridge. And boy, the, the, the repercussions are huge. It's like ripples in the water. You know, you think something's going to be small. It's like, nope, that ripple keeps going out and out and out and out. And somebody doesn't realize that their negative action um, just keeps going in so many ways and they have no idea and when you find it like as as a leader in in wine space when you find that or when you identify that and you can trace it back don't just let it keep going that just irks me when you know there's stories of people and you're why didn't you just pick up the phone and call that customer before it you know turns into this negative review or yeah exactly there's so many opportunities especially with social media now and you know online reputation you know making sure your online reputation is um really where it should be is is really important like it takes effort you've got to actually do something so uh, I want to ask you guys, uh, we're, we're getting here towards late summer, mid-late summer. Uh, what's everybody drinking these days? Uh, I personally am drinking a lot of whites and rosés of all different types. How about you, Lisa? Same. A lot of rosé, white. <laughs> I, I was just down on the Central Coast, and my nephew, who just graduated from college and is entering grad school, is working at a place called Chronic Cellars, which is really kind of fun, and I've they've got these kind of... Um, wild kind of labels mm-hmm. that, um, and they had a really nice rosé based on Grenache, Grenache Passerobles. So I've got a few bottles of that and have been enjoying that over there the last few weeks. Memories of place. Yes. Oh, an experience. Cool yeah. stuff. How about yeah, I've been, about I've been really into the white wines as well, and I'm sort of ready for the shift. Um, I just got back from Italy, so I, I actually have been extending my trip and purchasing more imports um, since, nice. I've been, <laughs> since I've been home. You've but been I, extending your memories yeah, in a way. E- Yes, exactly. So Because I wasn't able to bring wine home with me like I would have liked. Yeah. You're doing it's what so the wineries great. wanted you to do that you visited or the areas that you mm-hmm. brought that experience 
brian's home yeah exactly. <laughs> name, the, name of the game for all of us you know extend extend the great memories so and we hope we'll be doing the same for our listeners who are still tuning in so lisa thank you misty thank you for, thank you for being us here today and listeners thank you for tuning in we really appreciate it uh Reminder, uh, subscribe to our channel there on Radio Misfits or um, any one of the networks that we come through on, which happen to include uh, Apple's podcast, Stitcher, uh, a, a numerous number of channels that we are carried on. So subscribe to Wine Women Radio Hour, or just Wine Women. It might be listed just as Wine Women. Wherever you are, we really appreciate it. Leave a comment either on the Radio Misfits page that you are on right now or on our Facebook channel uh, for Wine Women. All of those things are great. Uh, or Instagram, Wine Women Org. You can find us Wine Women Org on most social channels. So uh, we would love to have your feedback and tell us what you would like to hear more about on the podcast in the future because we're going to have some more great guests coming up in future shows. So thank you. Thank you. Thank Woo-hoo. you. Bye-bye. Thanks, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye.